Good morning, Life United. How are y'all doing today? Good. I'm so excited to be with y'all this morning. Um, as y'all know, Pastor David is out right now. He's taking a little bit of vacation, um, but I'm so glad to be here to be able to bring the word. And um, I'm my name is Daniel. I'm Pastor Daniel. My wife is Lindsay. She talked earlier, and I have the honor of serving her, with her as the uh, youth pastor here. And we have an amazing son who's going to be one year old in like two weeks or something like that. Yeah, and uh, I'm, yeah, he's amazing. I love him. And I'm excited to be preaching there this morning. I love this church. Uh, we've been here for about three years now. Um, and I love my kids, my youth. Um, they're really like our heart and soul and so much of why we love to be here and get to grow with them and relationship with them. And I also love the pillars of this church. If y'all don't know, we have a lot of really core people in this church that pray for y'all every single week on Tuesdays and pray for y'all throughout the week and, and pray for us. And so we're super thankful for them. And I just love each and every single person um, that really contributes and is here. So it's an honor to be up here, um, but I don't take this position very lightly um, because, believe it or not, you know, it can be very fearful to be up here, um, a trembling type of fear, but not because I'm nervous to be speaking in front of a bunch of people, but because I understand that there is, um, like, that I am held accountable for the words that I speak while I'm up here that I'm held accountable for them, each and every single thing that I say. And so I've been in a prayerful position, studying the word, really wanting to make sure what I bring today is 100% from God. And I hope today, my goal for today is that you receive a transformative word from God. You encounter his presence, that there's something transformative that happens inside of you today, not because I say something amazing, but because the word of God and the Holy Spirit moves on your heart and can do something in your heart because I want you to receive nothing from Daniel, nothing from me, because believe it or not, I don't have that much to offer. Um, and that's not me getting down on myself, that's just me knowing that the transformative power of God comes from him and his Holy Spirit and not the words that come out of my mouth. I like it. We're already starting off with the amens. <laughs> no, it's good. Please, please. I, I love the amens. Um, I had a few people who said they'd be throwing those out, so I see they're being a little quiet now. And uh, I'm just, you know, look, I'm up here, so you could at least throw me a few amens, you know. But yeah, we started the week last week with Pastor David preaching on the upside-down kingdom, right? And so he's kind of talking about this upside-down perspective that the world sees and as Christians, we're actually supposed to see it a little bit different. And so Jesus came and spoke a lot about that, which we'll go into a little bit today. But specifically, I'm going to be talking about your identity in Christ. So your identity in Christ versus the identity that the world tries to give you. Your identity that would be in the world. And so whenever I say the world, what do I mean by that? Sometimes people hear the world and they just think the earth, right? But the world in the Bible is actually used, the Hebrew, they, they talk about it actually means the culture or the way that people lived apart from God and his moral standard. And so when we talk about the world, we're talking about not people who are Christian, but people who live in the secular world, right? And so my main question for you today is, do you know your identity in Christ? If I asked you, we're one-on-one, -on -one, and I say, hey, what is your identity in Christ? Like, how do you know that you are rooted in Jesus? Would you be able to answer that? And if you don't know your identity in Christ, you may be living in an identity that the world has placed upon you, an identity that maybe your experiences or things that you've dealt with in life have actually placed upon you, things that people have said to you, and you've attached those as your identity. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later. And so my, I just want you to think about that, right, as we go through the message today. What is your identity in Christ? 
And so my second question is, are you a conformer or a challenger? And these will kind of go together, but I want you to think about that. Are you a conformer or a challenger? Most of us probably don't think that we're conformers. Maybe you do. But another way to ask that is, do you go along with the norm, the kind of the status quo? Are you comfortable just kind of, you know, doing the norm? Or are you a challenger? Do you challenge the status quo? And so I have a cool uh, graphic we'll put up in just a minute. But there's a famous Polish-American psychologist. It's a lot of words. He was Polish-American. He was famous, and he was a psychologist. And he did these different tests. So he wanted to kind of test this idea of conformity. And so what he did was he did these uh, psychology tests. And he would have um, eight people enter into a room. And only one of these people was actually the person that he was testing. So seven of them were fake testers or his conspirators. They knew exactly what was going on. And he would pull up this graphic that they're going to pull up here. And what he would do is he wanted it to be something simple. And he would ask them the question, what is the correct answer here? And you can see this line on the left, they would ask, which one of these lines on the right is the correct answer? Which one matches up with these? And we can clearly see that the answer is B. And so he would, no, I'm just kidding, it's C, right? <laughs> see, yeah, yeah, y'all didn't conform, that's good. I already heard people that were about to correct me over from this front section over here, these ladies. The, these are some of the people right here, not all of them, but some of the people that I talk about that pray for y'all on Tuesday. So super thankful for them. And I'm going to hear him chuckling all, all day, I'm sure, this whole message. So, so, yeah, so this is the graph that he would show them. And he wanted it to be simple. But what he was doing is he was testing conformity. So he would say, he would have the first seven people that were the fake testers. He would say, okay, I want you to answer one at a time. And they would ask him in front of everybody. And he would say, which one of these is the correct answer? And one at a time, they would purposely give the wrong answer. And they would say, B, 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 all seven. And he would get to the last person that's being tested. And we wanted to see, would they conform and choose the wrong answer when it's pretty easy to see what the correct answer here is? So you can pull up the, the statistics up there. So in 36.8% of cases, 37% of cases, the decision was made to join the majority, to conform and give a wrong answer when asked which line was the same. 75% conformed at least once. They did a bunch of different trials, 12 of them. And they conformed at least once. And only 25% of people never conformed. That's crazy. Only 25%. That graph that was up here, that's an easy, that's an easy answer, right? That's like, a, you know, elementary level. My, my mom's in the house right now. Hey, mom, wave for me. <laughs> she, she did gifted testing for years, right? I mean, this is a low level, right? I remember when my mom did gifting, gifted testing for me, and there were answers that were much harder this, much harder than this. And I think that was in, like, fifth grade, so... Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think about, only 25%. And so that's kind of crazy to think about, but whenever they asked them why, they said, like, why did you choose the wrong answer? They either, they had a one of two answers for the most part. They said, well, I felt uncomfortable giving the wrong answer. I felt like I, you know, I didn't want to stand out, and all these other people were giving it. And so I was like, well, I think this is the right answer, but I'm just going to say B as well. And so they conformed. Another group of people, would, most of the people said, that the reason that they chose the wrong answer was because they questioned themselves. And so it's like, am I seeing this right? Is the angle right? Right. So because all these other people had said it was a different answer, they said, oh, man, I must be looking at this wrong. And so they basically decided to believe a lie, even though they knew, and it was very clear what the truth was right in front of them. Y'all can see where this is going, right? <laughs> and so this should be something that we're aware of as Christians, because we can easily conform to the world for the sake of comfort, because we, you know, don't want to 
you know, stand out, or, and we can even believe a lie in our life, even though we know what the truth is. And I know that I have done that. I have believed lies in my past, knowing what the truth is, just because it was comfortable. I just went along with it. Sometimes it was something I was actively doing, but sometimes it was kind of almost this subconscious thing, this thing I didn't really focus on, but I just, I knew in the back of my mind it was happening. But Jesus calls us to stand out, doesn't he? And so we can see in Romans 12, 1 through 2, if you'll pull that up, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so we can hear, see here, Paul is talking to the church in Roman, in the, talking to the Romans, and he's telling us, he's talking to the church that was in Rome, and he said, do not conform to this world, but be transformed. We talked about that this, this morning, I mentioned that, that you would have a transformative word, so to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so... Think about the things that you take in every single day, right? What, how do we conform to the world? Because I know from the moment that I was born until now that the world has been shouting and yelling and saying all these different things to try to teach me to, to conform, to try to teach me to believe a certain way, to think a certain way, which ultimately conforms to the world. And if I am not actively reading the word of God, I'm not actively seeking after him, then passively you will conform to the world. And we can see TikTok dances, and we can see all these different things that become popular on the internet. None of those are wrong in themselves, but you can see how easy it is that people want to be like other people. They want to conform. They, they want to be popular. They want to do these things, right? And so it's very easy for us to conform to the world, and Paul knows that. That was the same thing that happened back then as it, as it is now. People were conforming. People were doing it. They didn't have internet, but I guarantee you they were doing it the exact same way back then as they are now. The devil has not changed and his lies have not changed and his manipulation has not changed. He's still trying to get us to conform to the world. And Paul tells us to test the spirit, to know what is good, to challenge the culture. And you can see here, he says, test, um, to renew your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so that is that that challenger side of things, right? To challenge something is to, is to test it and try to determine, hey, is this good? Is this coming from God? Is this coming from the world? Is this for my good and my well-being? Or is this something that is actually from the devil, from the evil one, that is going to only bring death, that's going to tear me down? And so I ask again, are you a conformer or are you a challenger? There's nothing necessarily wrong with conforming in a lot of instances, right? We want to be liked. We want to fit in. We want to not cause trouble. But ultimately, we have to live by the word of God. As Christians, we have to live by the word of God. And we can see in Romans here, it calls us to not conform. And so we know some famous people throughout history that didn't conform, right? Some people that kind of went against the status quo. And we can see our founding fathers, right, who signed the Declaration of Independence and separated from Great Britain. And we celebrate that now on 4th of July and shoot up fireworks and all the other fun stuff that people do. Um, Abraham Lincoln, who went against the, norm, against the norm to abolish slavery. We see civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King and Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks, right, who fought against um, what was considered to be the norm at the time and risked their lives. And so many people have fought to see change and did not conform, and things are forever changed because of that. But ultimately, we have one person 
who was the most countercultural figure to ever live, and that was Jesus Christ. He lived like nobody else, right? He was God, the Son of God, came down and humbled himself to be born a baby. He healed thousands of people. He fed thousands of people. He performed miracles and signs and wonders, and he regularly challenged the political and religious leaders of his time, even though he knew it would make it so that people didn't like him. But he had a truth, and he knew what he came to do. So Jesus is the most countercultural figure ever. In Matthew 5, we see this. Jesus is speaking to the masses. This is his famous Sermon on the Mount. And he's kind of shifting, right? We're looking at the upside-down kingdom. He's, he's shifting the way that people think. Because at the time, people, the Jews, they followed laws. They would check the boxes off, right? Like, hey, I'm, I've, I've not done these sins, and I'm, I'm checking all these religious laws and these religious boxes off. And Jesus came and he said, if you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And I'm just referencing these. These are in Matthew 5. They're not going to have it up there. He said, if you have heard, it was said, you, should, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so these are just three examples. He has a whole list of them in Matthew 5. I encourage you to go read it. It's one of his most famous sermons and is literally the definition of counterculture because he's saying, this is what you believe and this is what you should believe. And it's the exact opposite of what they expected it to be. And he was saying that it's about your heart. It's not just about your, your outward actions. And so we can see that Jesus was incredibly countercultural. Look at it this way, right? We can read throughout the Bible. Jesus, anybody who met Jesus, right? They were never like, ah, he's okay, right? They were always like, we either hate you or we love you because he either came and you received what he said and he absolutely shifted and transformed your life or they were like the Pharisees and the religious leaders and they hated him, they wanted to stone him, they wanted to kill him. And so really the key, right, when we look at, okay, so Jesus lived this countercultural life. Clearly as Christians, we're supposed to live like Jesus. We're supposed to be counterculture as well. How do we do that? Right? And so the key to Jesus being able to live countercultural was he knew who he was and he knew his purpose on this earth. And I would say that that means that he knew his identity. Jesus knew his identity, knew who he was, and he knew his purpose on this earth. And so we must also know who we are and we must know our purpose on this earth to be able to know our identity. And so when I talked about earlier, what is your identity in Christ? It is much different than the world. And we can actually see the difference between these two. The world... When you think of your identity, right, and you may even think of this right now, and this may be part of that shift for you. When you think of your identity in the world, you think of how do you describe somebody, right? If someone were to say, hey, I need you to identify somebody, I need you to, you know, a cop, they, they ask, hey, we need you to identify somebody. They have a sketch that they'll, they'll write down. You say what, how tall they were, their skin color, the shape they were in, right, like all these different things, how big they are. Maybe if they had tattoos, the type of clothes they wore, right? You start to identify them by all these physical attributes. Sometimes we identify people by their profession or their strengths and their weaknesses, whether they're funny or not, right? These are all part of your personality in a lot of ways. It's part of what you do. But this is actually your identity that I would say is of the world and is not actually your identity that's rooted in Christ. And that doesn't mean that God does not give you a lot of these gifts and things like that. But if that is where your soul identity lies, that is not your identity in Christ. And so your identity in Christ, knowing who you are and your purpose on this earth, 
allows you to glorify him, to be able to choose joy no matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, no matter what profession you're in. Living in your identity in Christ supersedes your identity in this world because no matter what you're doing, your identity in Christ is going to be in that, right? So one is kind of defining like all these physical things, and the other is saying, okay, no matter what these are, you are a son and daughter of Christ. You, you are in Christ, so therefore that supersedes it. And at work, you can love people well, and you can choose to um, be obedient, and you can choose to you know, do these different things that God calls us to do, the fruits of the Spirit, right, because you have your identity in Christ. And also, your identity in Christ, God will use your strengths. He'll use your weaknesses, right? These don't define you because God can do something even better inside of you. Like this morning, getting up here can be a nervous thing to do, right? I, have, I had nerves walking up here. My, my hands get a little sweaty, right? Palms are sweaty. Mom's spaghetti. Um, <laughs> most of the younger generation got that one. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, a little, it's a little bit. My mom does make good spaghetti, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's difficult, right? And so there is a weakness that I have, right? I used to struggle with anxiety, right? My mom took me to tons of doctors when I was a senior in high school because I thought I was like, had something wrong with me. They did brain scans and heart scans. Turned out I just had social anxiety. And people were like, you're not anxious. You're the least anxious person I knew. But it was all subconscious, right? And so being up here could be a tough thing, but God uses that weakness, and he says, I'm going to come and I'm going to glorify that. I'm going to use your strengths and use your weaknesses to glorify him, and that's because my identity is in Christ and not in this world. If it was in this world, I would not be able to do what I'm doing right now, but it was because, God, that I can even be here. Getting some chills on that one. Whew. So we're going to break down two things or look at two different things, right? So we're going to look at who we are and our purpose on this earth, because I really want you all to understand where your identity in Christ is rooted this morning. So we're going to look at John 14, 7 through 10, because who better than to look at than Jesus to understand who we are by knowing how Jesus talked about who he was. And so Jesus is talking to the disciples here, and he says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him because you have seen me, or you have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough. Like, come on, come on, Philip, he just told you. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and still do you not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, who does his works. I'm not up here on my own authority. The Father that is in me, I want you to hear his words this morning. So as believers, we must know our Father in heaven to know who we are. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. You don't just need to know about God in your carnal mind. It doesn't matter if you read your Bible and you know all these historical facts. The, the fact of the matter is that you have to know him. And the word know here in Hebrew is actually a very intimate word. It means to know deeply, to have a relationship with. And so we can he see here Jesus was able to speak with authority that he claimed wasn't his own, but the Father who dwells in him. And so as Christians, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You have someone who can speak on your behalf and come and bring to knowledge different things and can help give you strength, can give you peace, can give you comfort in the midst of what the world would say is a circumstance you should not feel peace and comfort in. And so we can speak with truth and authority the same way that Jesus did, not because of our own 
ability, but because we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, because we know our identity, we know who we are as sons and daughters in Christ. And so when the devil tries to bring you down, when, when different struggles and different things come in your life, you do not have to submit to them and just say, oh, I just, I just need to get through this. I just, I'm, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. I just, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. I I'm just can't handle it anymore. You don't need to do that as Christians because if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have one who can make it to where you don't just get through things, but you actually thrive in the midst of these circumstances. At one point in the Bible, it says that he makes a dinner, he makes a, a table in the midst of your enemies, a feast, a table in the midst of your enemies. And so you can stand on your foundation and your identity as a son and a daughter of Christ, not because of what you've done, but because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Let's look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, the Sadducees were some religious leaders as well, and the Pharisees had heard that he had silenced them, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. They were constantly trying to test him. Constantly, the Pharisees were trying to catch him in some, some things so they could be like, oh, you're, you're wrong, and, and what you're saying is wrong. And he said, teacher, who, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so when we look at this, our identity in Christ, right, is based on us knowing who we are and his purpose on earth. And as Christians, we are called to love God with everything in you and to love others well. So who we are is to love God with everything you have and your purpose is to love other wells. It's that simple. It's that simple. That is, that is your identity in Christ. Now how we do that is dependent on the way that we live, right? Do we choose to trust in Jesus each and every single day? Do we choose to love people well? And it can be hard to do that, right? But let me give you an analogy real quick, okay? We think about love, right? And the world today will tell you that love is just being nice to somebody. It's being kind to somebody. That, that love can look like whatever it wants to look like. But the reality is, is that scripture teaches us that love is something different because when Jesus came, it says that he is love and he came to love the world, not to judge the world, but to love them. And yet in the midst of him loving, what did he do? He spoke truth. He, he talked about sin. He talked about the, the kingdom of heaven and he talked about hell and he said, you need to repent of your sin and turn to me, right? And that can sometimes not sound super loving when you're talking to somebody and telling them about their sin. And yet Jesus loved them enough. And so this is kind of an analogy that I use to get an idea of this, right? There's kind of two different ones I use. One is if you're, going around, you're on a cliff and you're climbing, right, and you go around a corner and there's like a drop-off right there. And you're like, whoa, you don't see it. You almost fall off. You turn around. You're heading back down the cliff, right? And some more people walk up. And they're about to turn that corner to go around the cliff. And you know that if they don't see it, they're going to fall right off that cliff. You're just like, hey, how's it going? Just keep walking? No, you don't do that. You're not just going to not tell them about the danger that's in front of them. You're going to say, whoa, 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 don't go that way. Don't go around the cliff. And if they're like, no, nah, no, nah, we're good, don't worry. You're like, no, no, don't go off the cliff. No, man, we're good, really. Like, you don't have to worry about it. I, I got my own life. I can handle it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't need somebody else. I can do this on my own. I have enough strength to do it. No, I'm telling you. Like, if you go around that cliff, look, I took a picture. Here's some proof. Like, don't go around that corner. You know what I mean? 
And so we would warn them with everything that we had. We don't want these random people to die. At some point, I'm going to be like, all right, dude, good luck. <laughs> no, I mean, some of us might do that. But the reality is, is that people are heading for hell. People are heading to a place where they will die, where they'll fall off that cliff. And it is only loving for us to be able to tell them about it. And so this can be incredibly difficult to do, right? When we look at the, the scripture here in Matthew 24, it's incredibly difficult to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? Like, with everything that you have. Like, the idea of that is just, like, kind of mind-boggling, right? Because I know for me, I can barely clean my, my house well. I can barely pay my bills sometimes. I can barely try to eat, eat healthy for more than 10 or 15 or 20 days, right? That cake gets in front of me, and I'm like, mm, that's ten, I say that. I'm, I'm not a big fan of cake, but that peach cobbler, right? And so I can barely be self-disciplined. I know when people, when I'm driving and people cut me off or I see someone do something stupid, I want to call them stupid. And I can barely control myself. My wife knows. She's like, don't call them stupid. And I'm like, they're not stupid. You're right. But that's, what, that's what's inside, right? And that, how I can barely be able to do those things. And yet God is telling me to love him with everything I have. That is so difficult to do. So how can I love God like this? What about the second part here? Love your neighbor as yourself. We all got that neighbor. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Trash in the yard, driving crazy fast down the street, dogs barking at 1 o'clock in the morning. It's hard to love my neighbors. I don't know about y'all, but it is hard. But I think the hardest part about the second is the second part here. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And for us to love others well, we have to first love ourselves. And that sometimes can be very difficult because, like I said, you may have had experiences and things in life that you've dealt with, situations, people who have spoken down to you. The world has given you an identity that may make it very difficult for you to be able to love yourself well. And when I say love myself, again, there's, the world will try to twist this a little bit. It doesn't mean that you're supposed to be selfish or self-consumed, right? They'll take this to only care about themselves. The culture is all about me, 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 and getting mine and not worrying about anybody else. That's not what I'm talking about whenever I say love yourself. I'm talking about being able to receive the love from the Father, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you can receive a love from God that is eternal, that is everlasting, and does not change. Unlike the people in this world, we know that that can shift, Right? The world and the foundation of what people say is like shifting sand. But the foundation that God gives us is rock solid that we can stand on whenever he says something and his promises are true. He does not lie. There he is. And Jesus calls us to love others, right, the way that we want to be loved. And so for us to love others, right, I kind of view it like this. You first have to know God and be able to receive his love as a son and a daughter in Christ. And if you're able to do that and, and also pour out that love back to God, that will be reciprocal. It'll happen, right? Then you will get so filled up by God. You'll be so full of joy and knowing who you are in Christ that you won't be able to help but to start to love others well, to share the gospel, to try to present it to other people that it won't even, you won't even be on a cliff and people are going around the corner. They'll just be driving down the highway and like, you could get hit by a car. I need to tell you right now because of how filled you are on the inside. Peter, in the Bible, he was walking, and he was so filled. He had just come from seeing two people get killed by the Lord, right? And, he, and he's coming from this meeting, and his shadow, he walks by, and his shadow heals somebody. 
Like, it'll be like that, where it's like, you don't even have, you don't even notice. You're just so full of Jesus. You're so full of loving people and, and full of joy that people be like, I need what that guy needs. I need what that girl has. And so some of us may struggle to receive the love of God because our perspective. And that's why we need that, that kingdom upside down shift. Sometimes our, our perspective is off. And I'm sorry to the people that have not been loved, who have been hurt by people, could have been intentional or, or unintentional. But we all have wounds. We all have pain. And the struggles that we go through are very real. And we know that people who don't know the Lord have trouble finding healing, right? And they remain wounded and hurt. They sometimes will suppress it. Maybe sometimes we do this. We remain wounded and hurt and we suppress things. But we know that hurt people hurt people, right? You've heard this before, I imagine. Hurt people hurt people. But if you know your identity in Christ, you will be healed. You can be healed. No matter what it is, whether it's a physical thing, a mental thing, whatever it is, you can be healed. And free people, free people. And so that idea of, of pouring out on others. And so the reality is, as the world looks opposite of loving God, the world does the opposite of loving God. And as Christians, we sometimes can look a little bit like the world. And so we have to be careful, right? Because we want to have this identity in Christ, right? We want to walk out in this. It's like, hey, I've, I've chosen to follow Jesus I believe the Holy Spirit is in me, and I want to walk this out, but there's something that we have, flesh, that sometimes can get in the way. The Bible describes flesh as kind of this, this idea of our nature before we knew God, right? This nature before we knew God. And because, even though, because even though we are saved, we still choose to let our flesh reign in our lives instead of our spirit. And there's actually scripture that talks about submitting your flesh to your spirit, allowing your Holy Spirit to come, and the fruit of the Spirit would flow from that. And so we can see in Romans 8, 12 through 13, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to our, our old nature, to live according to the flesh, to live according to that old nature we used to live in. And he's saying, brothers here, these are, these are people who are saved, who have come to know Jesus. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you put to death the, the, the desires of the flesh, you will live. And so, see, our flesh actually hates God. It hates the things of God, right? God is holy, right? He is perfect and holy. And anything that is not holy cannot even be near him. And so, the world loves to focus on these temporary desires in the flesh, right, that don't bring everlasting life. And so, I'm going to reference a few scriptures here. It might get a little heavy, but I promise there is light on the other side, so bear with me. I'm going to reference a few of these, and you'll, you'll see them up on the screen. I'm, it doesn't have all the words. It's just the references because I'm going to kind of bullet through these kind of quick. But this is just to show us. This is, this is going to be our heart, right? This is, this is really the way that the world looks, but sometimes as Christians, this is what we struggle with as well. The big difference between the world and the Christians isn't our struggle, isn't, isn't, the, isn't the desires of the flesh and the sin and everything because we struggle just as much as the world does. One submits that, that those thoughts, submits the the sin to our spirit and allows it to not come up, whereas the desires of the flesh and the world, it's like, hey, I'm just going to do whatever I want. This is, this is how I feel. This is, this, is, this is what makes me feel good, so I'm going to do that, right? So we can see in Matthew 15, 19, it says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. We can see in Romans, Paul talking again to the church of Rome, the Gentiles, that's us. In Romans 1.21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
but they became futile in their thinking, right? They weren't thinking straight. And their foolish hearts were darkened. In Romans 1.26, it says, For this reason God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations with one another, and the men likewise gave up their natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, committing shameless acts. Men and men and women and women, do, and they received the due penalty for their error. In Romans 1.29, it says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. And this list actually goes on and on and on and on. And God is talking to us. This isn't, these aren't my words. You can go look it up. It's scripture. I'm the messenger. And so that, that can be heavy, right? When we look at this, it's like, all right, Paul, he was talking to Rome, and Paul did not hold back, clearly. I mean, there's, those are snippets of what Paul would talk to the Gentiles in Rome about. And so for us as Christians, we have to view this and say, okay, this, this, is what, this is a reality that we struggle with as well. And so how do we, how do we live countercultural to the world when these are the things that we want to do? These are the things that just kind of naturally feel good, that happen inside of us. And so you have to submit your flesh to the Holy Spirit. For us to live countercultural, you have to know your identity in Christ. You have to know him and you have to know your purpose. You have to receive from the Father, have a relationship with him, love him. And I promise you that that sin... You don't have to focus on checking off the boxes like the Pharisees used to have to do and say, I'm not going to, okay, it says not to do these things. Let me make sure each and every single day that it looks right. While on the inside, their hearts were darkened. They were so darkened, they didn't even see the Savior, the Messiah, right in front of them. We don't have to do that. We can be transformed on the inside. The Holy Spirit can come and live inside of us, and we can choose to submit our flesh to the Spirit so that the Spirit flows through our lives, and we can live out these fruits of joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so I'm going to put up a few more stats here. Again, this is a little heavy, but this is truth, right? And so 68%, this is Barna Research, you can look this up, 68% of church-going men in the United States and more than 50% of pastors, which when I saw this absolutely blew my mind, and I looked at multiple sites to confirm this, regularly view pornography. Statistically, that means that there's some of us in here that do that. Only 13% of Christian women say they've never watched porn. So 87% of them have watched porn at some point. Crazy. We, we, need, we are in need of, of a Savior. We're in need of saying, submitting our flesh and trusting in Jesus. We do. 24% of born-again Christians are okay getting drunk on a regular basis. 45% gamble on a regular basis. 49% of couples, Christian couples, are okay living with each other before marriage. 33% of born-again Christians are okay with having an abortion. And 29% are okay with using profanity on a normal basis. This is the American church. I, I know that I may have offended at least one person in here <laughs> with these statistics. But this is the truth. And when I looked these up, I was like, these are crazy. How can this be true? But the reality is when I look around and as, as, a, as a pastor, I've talked with people and walked through with people. And look, none of this is to shame anybody. None of this is to say, hey, if you're doing this, you're a bad Christian because that's not what I'm up here to do. I promise. 
Because the reality is, is that my life looked very much just like this before I knew Jesus. And so we have to know God. We have to know our identity in Christ to not walk in this, for us to live changed, right? And, and why would the world, right, why would somebody want to know Jesus, to, to come to church and try to know Jesus when they see this is, what the, this is what we look like, when this is the way that the world looks? Like what's the difference between the two besides one person goes to a two-hour service on a Sunday morning, right? And so as, us, as Christians, we have to choose to live in a different way. We have to choose to be a light on top of the hill for all the city to see. We have to represent Jesus in everything we do and not in a, I'm going to check off the boxes and complete these religious laws, but in a way of, I need to know Jesus more. I need to be more in love with Jesus because he will shift and transform something in your heart. I promise. If you were to spend time with Jesus every single day, 10 minutes a day in the morning, 10 minutes at night, more if you can. But if you just did that and you read your word, allowed that truth to, to really sit on your heart, and you spent easily a portion of the time that you spend watching TV or spending time on your phone or on YouTube or anything like that, I guarantee you that your life will transform. I actually challenge you to try it. If you're in here and you don't believe in Jesus, I challenge you to try it, to try to talk to God, to try to spend time with him, try to ask him those questions, try to, to really see like, okay, is this real? You can't just say, I'm going to go to church on a Sunday and maybe attend a Bible study and listen to some cool pastors speak. That's, that's not going to shift anything in you. That does nothing. But the reality is, is that Jesus is the transformer. He's the refiner, right? We just sang that. He, he, we say, set a fire inside of me. What does that mean? It means to burn up all that junk, to take out all that stuff that we've done in the past, all of our sin, all the things that we struggle with. Burn it up. Refine me, God. Make me into something new. And he promises. He actually says, that's why they call it a born-again Christian, right? Whenever Jesus, this actually comes from when Jesus talks to Nicodemus in the Bible. And Jesus is countercultural, right? So he's up on top of this house talking to a Pharisee. Could have gotten him killed much sooner. But he's up there and he's talking to him and he says, for you to be born again, you have to, you're going to be born of the Spirit. And at first, Nicodemus was like, what do you mean born again? Like, I can't enter back into my mother's womb. Like, he literally says that. He says, how, how could I be born again? He said, no, 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 it's born of the Spirit. And he explains what that means. And it's because there's actually something that shifts on the inside of us. Our perspective shifts, right? We no longer have this worldly perspective. We have this new thinking that may be upside down to the culture. But honestly, sometimes that word bothers me a little bit because I'm like, the culture is the one that's got it upside down. You know, like the, the, the culture is the one that's counter to the way that it should be. Like we don't need to be counter to culture, right? Like the culture should be, is the one that's counter to us and counter to what God has for us in our lives, right? Because God is the creator of everything. He created the galaxies and the stars and the planets. He created puppies and the, and the sunshine and all the amazing things that we enjoy. God created those. He created each and every single one of you. He says, I know every single hair that is on your head. And so he's the creator of it all. If you don't believe me, how, do we know if a builder built this building? How do you know that a builder built this building? Because guess what? Logic that God gave us tells us this building didn't build itself. What about a painting? How, does a, how do we know that a painting had a painter when we look at it? Because paintings can't paint themselves. It's an intelligent design. And when we look at the world around us and everything that's created, logic tells us in our brain that God exists 
Because a creator has to exist. It could not have created itself. That wasn't on my script, but. (laughs) And so the good news is that Jesus has died on the cross for your sin. He paid the ultimate debt for you to be able to be free of your sin. Paid the ultimate debt. And I figured that out when I was 22 years old. I told you that my life used to look like those statistics. I'm going to tell you a little story real quick about myself. Is that I used to live that way. Even though my mom loves the Lord and tried to raise me right, I chose, I chose to become an atheist when I was in high school. I chose that I didn't, I didn't want to believe in God, that I wanted to do my own thing and that I believe in science and all this stuff, which guess what, I still love science. I just know that they go together now. And I chose to turn away and to choose to indulge my flesh and my sin and pretty much every single thing that y'all saw up on that list were things that I did regularly. And then when I was 22 years old, I went to a church. I was invited by a friend, and I just thought, you know what, I'll just go be a good friend. Didn't really think about it too much. And they talked about a bunch of different stuff that I don't even remember. I sat in the back row, which there could be someone back here right now that doesn't remember anything I said, because I remember I didn't remember a thing that that pastor said that morning. (laughs) But what I do remember is on my way out and on my way in, there was a guy named Matthew who said, hey, man, how's it going? And a few other people, hey, how's it going? And they, they loved me well. They had the Holy Spirit inside of them. They were that light on top of a hill. And there was something that I saw in them. And I said, this is different. This is different. Went to a Bible study a few days later. They shared the gospel with me. And I can tell you that, my, that God was softening my heart long before that to be able to bring me to him. But it was in that moment when I heard the gospel that I was saved. And I realized the way that I had been living, the things that I had done, that that only brought pain and depression and anxiety, but those were not what I needed to live in anymore. And so when I saw this glimpse of hope, I saw this glimpse of light in front of me, the gospel, I said, yeah, I need that. Chose to follow him and now I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, amen, yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm gonna go ahead and invite the the band, y'all can come on up and prayer team if y'all come up as well as I close out here. So the good news is that Jesus has died for you. For us to live countercultural to this world, we have to know Jesus. We have to know him. And so you may be in a few different places this morning. You may know God. You may have been saved. And you may be in a good place or maybe there's something. I believe all of us, including myself, has something that we need to turn from this morning. We have to turn from and trust in Jesus. And so you may be living in something right now that you know you need to repent of and turn from. You may be someone who's not a Christian, right? You, you've, you, you're deciding that right now. You're trying to figure out, hey, do I need to follow the Lord? Do I need to trust in him? Or am I okay just continually doing my own thing and living my life the way that I am now? And I would encourage you, we can look at scripture here. We can see what God has called us to, to not conform to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so for us to live countercultural, we must know who we are and we must know our purpose. And so I encourage you, church, if this church right here, if we each, every person in here knew who they were and their identity in Christ, and we lived out that purpose each and every single day, loving others, this church would, would transform from the inside out. We'd have the, the, the walls booming with people. Not that it's about numbers, but it's about seeing people saved, about seeing lives transformed and turned from the darkness from the evil, heading down that, that path that will take them off the cliff. And so I want to invite some people up this morning. If this is you, 
We have the prayer team up here. The band's going to jump back into it for a moment as we worship God. But I want to encourage you, please, please, please get right with the Lord. Please get right with the Lord. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, maybe these things that I'm saying, it sounds like I'm talking to only believers, but you get the message as well. You understand where you're at, where you've been, the things that you struggled with, and I pray that you will see that you need God. And so I'm going to pray for us as we close out this morning with my message, and then we'll jump into some worship, and please come up and get prayer. If there's anything that you're dealing with, anything that you're struggling with, any sort of healing that you need, please, we have amazing prayer partners here. So Jesus, we thank you this morning, Father. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all you've done on that cross, paying our fine that we did not deserve. And so right now, we can be saved by grace. It says that we are saved by grace and grace alone. That there is a free gift that we just have to receive. We just open our arms and receive the gift of salvation this morning. That we do not have to perform a certain way. We don't have to look a certain way. I'm just going to get my life right and then I'll come to know Jesus. No, you don't have to do that. That is, that is so works-based. It's so saying that I have to perform to get to God. And God says, I love you enough that I sent my son to die on a cross so you did not have to perform to be able to be saved. And the good works will come after. The good works come after you're saved because you're going to be filled by me and only the goodness of me, goodness of God is going to flow out of you. And so, Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Jesus. I pray that you would move on our hearts this morning. I pray that this word would leave people transformed this morning, and I pray that you get nothing from me and everything from God this morning as we worship him. Holy Spirit, come and move and do what only you can do in this place. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you to speak and be our guide this morning. So again, I encourage you, please come forward. Please get prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all you've done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Purify my heart 